Well, if you'll turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 16 tonight, please. 1 Samuel chapter number 16. And uh, it's so good to be a member of a church where that we still reach out. God still leads the staff and thinking big. And God still leads the workers and the bus captains and all the children, church workers to have right at 500 today in the children's ministry. That's wonderful. And uh, all of those professions of faith. Now, I don't any longer say how many were saved because I don't know how many were saved. We'll see in a few months. But I thank God that folk make professions of faith. Amen. And uh, that's all we can do. We can sow. But God has to give the increase. Amen. Amen. But I'll tell you one thing. We don't allow, we don't want to hold up on the sowing business. And that's, that's our job. Let me read for you just a little bit as a way of introduction. The context is King Saul and his relationship to God and his conversation with the prophet Samuel. Please notice, if you would please, God commands Saul to do something. Verse 3 of chapter number 15. And God told King Saul, go now and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, but slay both men, man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Saul gathered the people together, numbered them in Telam, 200,000 footmen, 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. Saul said unto the Canaanites, go depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. Verse number seven, Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until the comest of Shur and over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen. And of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good, he would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuge, that they destroyed utterly. Think May Saul might have had a little Baptist in him? Now that's just too good to give to God. Saul had his own plans. And his plans at this particular time run right opposed to what God's plan was. What will it hurt if we just take the king alive? And what will it hurt if we destroy all the profane and everything that we don't want? And keep 
that which is good. Do you ever do your own thing? Do you expect it to turn out all right? If you do, you don't know God's book. Whoever said that you got a corner on what's right or wrong? So, with that in mind, Saul reports and says, I've done exactly like God wants, Samuel. Verse 14, and Samuel said, What meaneth then the blatant of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? If you killed everything, Saul, what's that blatant in the backyard? And the lowing of the ox. Well, Saul couldn't take it. Take the blame for that. And Saul said they have brought them from the Amalekites. They, you know it said they. Saul said, I didn't have anything to do with them stinking people you gave me. That's what it is. Samuel said in verse 17, when thou wast little in thy own eyes, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. Verse 19. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but did, didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? Verse 35. Samuel came no more. To see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Verse 1 And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn this loser? How long are you going to sit there in sackcloth and ashes and mourn this guy that I have blessed beyond all measure and he's marching at his own orders, doing his own thing? Samuel, what are you doing sitting there down in the mouth, discouraged, put out, Notice what he says now. Fill up. Fill thy horn with oil. You can't do that sitting, feeling sorry for yourself. And go and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided me a king among his sons. Samuel, how long do you think it's going to take you to get over this, son? I've rejected Saul. He's a ten-carat loser. He's demon-possessed. We've got to have somebody play a harp just to keep him from trying to kill his own son. Samuel, get over it. 
What do you got you can't get over? I'm not doing it like you think I ought to. A death in your family. A divorce. Disaster in some areas, some I don't know how. Maybe disease or disappointment. Uh, where, where, where did your joy go? Where did your excitement for serving God go? Uh, where is your desire to see people saved and the church grow and, and things uh, be on the run for Jesus? Uh, where did that go? Uh, don't you think it's about time you got over it? Don't you think you've sat there with sackcloth wrapped around you and a, and a, a moaning looking face on, on you? And don't you think it's about time you, you just stood up and got over it? I, I just think maybe there's a lot of folks that's having a tremendous amount of difficulty on getting over some things. Paul's perspective on this situation, you'll find in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. He said, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind. I wonder how come we forget the important things and remember the unimportant things. I wonder why we work so hard at forgetting what our wife asks us to do and work so hard at remembering that which we don't need to remember. Paul said, I have the remedy for getting over something. Forgetting those things which are behind. I press toward the prize of the high calling in Jesus Christ. Amen. I really believe with all my heart tonight, there's a lot of folks hung up on yesterday. Amen. Well, preacher, you just don't know what I've gone through. I know it's tough living in America. And I know it's tough with air conditioning. Forced air heating. I know, I don't know how we are making it with Charmin instead of Sears and Roebuck. Now, I just don't know how we're making it with a, with a automatic everything in our kitchen and uh, and power steering and power windows and power brakes. I, I don't know how we're ever going to make it. We have it so terribly difficult in America. Well, preacher, I got a lot of problems. Go home and look in the mirror. You can fix those. Quit blaming Saul for being in the dump, Samuel. Quit blaming somebody else and their failure for you sitting there not Doing what I want you to do. Now you get up and you fill up your horn with oil and you go down to Jesse's house and you find one of them boys and his name was David and you anoint him. He'll be king. God's not hung up on your hangups. God knows what's going on. Is there anybody here tonight? We act like God died on us somewhere down the road. Oh, some great devastating catastrophe came our way. Paul said, I'm just forgetting those things which are behind me. Such as friends who disappoint him and leave him on a missions trip. 
demon has forsaken me. I haven't loved this pleasant world. Too many of us get our eyes on somebody else. And we allow somebody else to control our Christianity and our victory in God. Yeah. John Mark, he left us. And I don't know why he left us, but Paul said, I am not worried about John Mark. I'm not hung up on demons. I'm forgetting those things which are behind, pressing toward the mark of the high calling in Jesus Christ. Paul said, "I, I, I just forget those things which are behind like misunderstandings. Everywhere Paul went on that last missionary journey, somebody would take a robe. Somebody would take a piece of material, wrap themselves in it, and say, Paul, this is an object lesson of what's going to happen to you in Jerusalem. They're going to bind you. They're going to incarcerate you. They're going to kill you. And Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, none of these things move me, he said. What's it take to move us? A hot check? A banker that did not cover your check? Somebody who looks down their nose at you because they're not where you think they ought to be? I wonder just what it takes to get us to sit down in the valley of despair and despondency and feel so sorry for ourselves. Paul said, I'll tell you one thing. My friends wasn't able to do it. Let me tell you something. Misunderstandings wasn't able to do it. He said a thorn in the flesh wasn't able to do it. Prison couldn't do it. Being stoned couldn't do it. In the shipwreck, in the deep shipwreck day and night, that couldn't do it. Why? Because I just forgot all about it. And I don't have a rear view mirror. And I'm not looking in a rear view mirror. I'm looking straight out the windshield. And I'm looking toward the high calling in Jesus Christ. Is there anybody here tonight who's hung up on yesterday? Hung up on what I should have or should not have done. Hung up on, well, I picked another bad one. How many of you gone through? Maybe they're picking bad ones. <laughs> You're welcome. Jim, I, you, I told you that wouldn't go over very good. <laughs> Don't you tell me to do that anymore, Jim. Your ability to always interfere with my preaching. Well, let's just quit looking in the rearview mirror. You know what you can do about yesterday? Absolutely zipola. You can't change it. You can't rearrange it. The only thing yesterday can do for you is make you miserable and feel like a loser and not be able to look Jesus Christ in the face. And it's a lack of faith. And you need to just quit looking at the rearview mirror. You need to break the rearview mirror in your life and quit looking behind and forgetting those things which are behind. Preacher, I've tried my best to get over it. I've tried my best to work through it. I've tried my best to uh, to get on top of this thing. I preach. I, I pray and and I fast. Do you pray fast? 
Look, you don't fast to get God to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. Fasting don't get God on your side. It's something you do before you start fasting that gets God on our side. And you're not going to pull God's strings and live like hell and expect God to perform a miracle in your life. Well, I'm just praying that God would bless. Why don't you start living so that God can bless? Why don't you start living like God meant what he said and live like God means what he said and get on with it? Well, preacher, I don't understand. I, I, I just don't understand how that I can just get over something so traumatic, something that is so earth-shaking, something that is just absolutely uh, about to tear me apart. Listen, let me tell you how I get over it. You ready? I said you're ready. Now, this is deep, Okay. I don't want you to miss this. Okay? Are we ready? Now, you folks that's having trouble getting over it, you might listen. Okay? Find someone or something bigger than your hang-up. Well, preacher, I, I can't quit smoking. You can if you find something big enough to do it for. You said, I, I, I can't control my temper. You can if you find somebody big enough to break you from the habit. Now, anybody can be a macho meathead around a five foot two woman. What you need to do is blow it around about a, a, a linebacker. Just walk up and say, you are ugly and I'm fixed to slap you right in a snoot. <laughs> and I don't feel like ducking right now. You're fixing to get an education in temper control or biblical temperance. <laughs> For you to get over anything, something is going to have to be bigger than your hurt or your hang up. Something or someone is going to have to be bigger than your self-pity. Something's going to have to be bigger than you wallowing around. Won't everybody feel sorry for you. Something or someone is going to have to be bigger than your hang-up. The only reason I could quit smoking is because I found somebody that was more important to me than smoking. The only reason I could quit drinking, I did not go to AAA, B-U-L-L, B-L-O-N-I-E or any of that other stuff. I found somebody who was big enough for me to do it for. Now what your problem is, Samuel Your problem is not Saul's loss of the kingdom. Your problem is you're the guy who anointed him. 
That makes you a part of this failure. Well, I thought we was having a good time till then. Samuel. Who anointed Saul to be king? Who poured the oil on his head? Who taught him everything he knows? Samuel. Could it be your fault that Saul's a loser? Isn't that something? What could be bigger than Samuel's disappointment in King Saul? After all, he's head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel. After all, he could be on television as a wrestler or boxer or maybe a model. God forbid. Samuel, what's it going to take to get you out of the valley of discouragement and despondency that you're in? Would you turn in your Bible for just a minute while I stumble around here? And take your Bible, if you would, please. Turn to two places in your Bible, please. Philippians chapter 3. Whatever could be big enough for me to get my eyes off of me and on him. Whatever could be big enough. Then turn to the book of Romans chapter 8, if you would. Please let me see something. And I'd, I'd like to say. If we're ever going to get over what has us strangled, we're going to have to find something or someone bigger than our hang-up and our hurt. You agree? I mean, that, that makes good sense to me. Why was Paul able to forget those things which are behind Can you imagine how many things I could come up with in a week that you folk do to make me quit? I mean, dumb, stupid stuff that I could look in your life and if I haven't been any more effective that in your life, maybe I ought to quit. And let somebody else come and do it. God leads me. Have a bond program. God leads me to build buildings. God leads you to stay away. All because it might not fit into your little fiddle. Guess I ought to quit. Maybe I ought to sit down in my ashes and. Feel sorry for myself. Maybe us having church on Wednesday night and some of you folks having a party. 
You said, you talking to me? If I'm in your front yard. See, I got to get over some stuff. Disappointment. Hurt. Rejection. How do we do that? You say, now I'm mad. Well, let me tell you how you can get over it. (laughs) You say, I'm leaving. Do you think you'll be the first? Do you think you'll be the last? Now listen, I'm not. Because in my life, there's someone bigger than you. Bigger than your childish decisions. Bigger than your worldly appetites. Bigger, 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 bigger. Bigger than AAA, B-U-L-L, and all the other stuff. Bigger. But now, if you're still having trouble getting over yours, let me help you a little bit. What is bigger than our hang-ups or our hurts? Okay, did you turn to Philippians 3? Did anybody turn to Philippians 3? Does anybody believe Philippians 3? I said, does anybody believe Philippians 3? No, I'm not coming around here milly-mouthing, tiptoeing through the tulips, worrying about hurting your dumb feelings. And if you're worried about me, worrying about you, you are worried about the wrong cat. Philippians chapter number 3. Something bigger, something bigger than my hang-up, my hurt, my disappointment. Philippians 3. Brethren, verse number 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but... This one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward what? What's the mark in your life? I press toward the mark. Paul had a mark in his life. Paul had a vision in his life. Paul had a vision for his life. Paul had something that was more important than Demas, than, than Mark, than shipwreck, than all the junk. Something was more important. It was the mark. It was the high prize. It was the calling in Jesus Christ. The problem with Samuel is he had his eyes on Samuel and not on the mark. I have found most of the time when I feel sorry for me, I probably have my eyes on the wrong individual. 
me, my, I. Paul had something bigger in view. It was the prize that was set before him. It was the high calling in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something tonight. Is there anything in your life more important tonight than you? And you've got it by the tail with a downhill pull. If there's something or someone in your life bigger than you. Notice, if you would, please. Can I please help you? Romans 8 and verse 28. Most of you can quote that. But I'd kind of like you to look at it for just a minute and uh, we, 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 we want to hurry. Romans 8 and verse 28. And for me, and I have my hang-ups. I honestly do. I have my idiosyncrasy. Yes, I do. I've never had the time when I wanted to quit serving God. I've never had the... I've never had the desire to quit pastoring this church. Although at one time when our family was going through a very traumatic time, I went to the deacons and offered to resign to keep this church from going through a family trial of my own. I'm not dragging this church through family problems. I'm not going to destroy this church with my family. And the deacon said, preacher, it'll be all right. It'll all work out. And it has for the glory of God. But I've never, never got in a, in a, in a self pity deal and said, I'm just going to quit because there's always been something bigger. And that's my calling in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're called. Now, notice this, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It's why you can't get over something. Because you've got to find something bigger than your hang-up or your hurt. Notice all things. Ain't there two words before that? For we know. Uh, Is that there? Yes, sir. For we know. Well, if you know, then why you question what's going on in your life? For we know that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord. And then it says something. Those are called according to what? Isn't that bigger than your little pity party? (laughs) You and I were called to fulfill his purpose. 
AAA's bigger than that? RU's bigger than that? Colorado Kool-Aid's more powerful than that? A jerk at the tail feathers of old crow is bigger than that? One more toke on a Marlboro is bigger than that? You wearing your skirts below your knees is bigger than that? You conforming to a dress code to sing in the choir and on the platform is bigger than his purpose? Hey, it's not your life anymore. It's not your body you're destroying anymore. It's not your spirit he's contaminating anymore. It's his body and it's his spirit because you're bought with a price. So now you embrace his purpose. Well, what is his purpose? Verse 29. Please look at your Bible now. We don't quote this very often. And whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate or predetermine to be conformed to the image of his dear son. Amen. You know what's bigger than whatever hang up I've got? You know what is bigger than anybody who's ever hurt me, disappointed me, lied about me, accused me, stole from me? Or misuse me. His purpose. Is bigger than all of that. And his purpose is. That all of these things. Have been coming my way for. Forty some years. God has been taking things. And conforming me. And situations. And changing me. Heartaches to soften me. Good times to encourage me. To conform me. To be more like Jesus. And whether you like it or not. My preaching. (laughs) Is to conform you like Jesus. You say. Well I don't like it. You know what. Sometimes my wife. Just acts like. An absolute. Dog. Which is. Never. Has anybody here ever been aggravated with your mate? Brother Odell, keep your hand down. I knew it was going up. There's an attorney sitting close to you, Brother Odell, should you need one. (laughs) Listen. Listen. Preacher, you hurt my feet. Get over it. Preacher, you, you, you shouldn't single me out. I haven't called your name. You know what you need to do? You need to find something bigger. Somebody more important. And get over it. I thought this was real good. But I evidently consider, if you would please... 
in your life for just a moment the big picture. Most of us get hung up on the little picture. Most of us hung up today, honest. Today has got to be bad because tomorrow, I mean yesterday, was a terrible day. Most of us get hung up on the little picture. Samuel was hung up on the nasty now and now. Israel's great king is a failure. The man that he anointed is a king-sized flop. I loved him, Samuel said. I knew him and I loved him. I've seen him in his wild tarrants. I've seen him when the evil spirit overtook him. I've heard testimonies about him throwing a javelin at David, trying to hang his own son against the wall. I've seen him in those tirades, but I knew him and I loved him. My heart is broken. I must let everybody know that my heart is broken, so I'll change my clothes and put on sackcloth and I'll sit in ashes and I'll mourn a while. And God looked and said, what? Are you doing? What are you doing? You know I've rejected that 10 carat loser from being king. Get up. Fill your horn with oil. Go down to Bethlehem. You'll find a man there by the name of Jesse. I've already chose the next king. It's all under control. God's got it all under control. So why don't we just get up and get over it? How do you do that? Well, we talked about the high calling. Acts 24 and 20 talks about my course, my ministry. Paul said, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dearer than myself. Now listen, that I might finish my course and the ministry which the Lord, the righteous judge, has given to me. Does your calling and your ministry mean anything? Yes, sir. Then you're going to have to get over what's holding you back. You're going to have to find something bigger. I just wonder tonight. Maybe Samuel was hung up on his loss. Missed the big picture. I think this is a pertinent question. Could I ask you? Is your misery... Something to be cherished? Is your service given away to your suffering? If it is, who is that serving? 
I think we better go on. I'm about to lose a friend. Secondly, if we're ever going to get over it, you say, well, what's it? I don't know. You come to my office and tell me what it is, but that's not really what it is after all. Folk never tell me what the problem is. They always tell me what they feel about the problem. They never get around to what the problem really is. They always skirt around it. Just in my own life, I've discovered that if I am going over anything in my life that's holding me up, holding me down, discouraging me, I must realize that nothing ever happened to me that God did not allow. And if God allowed it, you know the verse? It's for your good. Because all things work together for good. Does anybody believe that? To those who love God. Let's take just one illustration probably the most perfect type of Christ in all the Bible. His name is Joseph. He's a member of a dysfunctional family, to say the least. Would you say that? If you were to start in Genesis chapter 37 and go through Genesis chapter 50, you you can outline Joseph's life like this. In Potiphar's house. Number one, in a pit. Number two, in a prison. Number three, in a position. Huh? The Bible says that Joseph's brothers were so mistraught at him and upset with him, they could not get over it. So they took it, threw him in a pit, killed a goat, put the blood on the coat, sent it home to daddy and said, Joseph is dead. As far as daddy knows, Joseph is no more. But now Joseph is still around. But he's in a pit. They take him out of the pit and sell him to some Ishmaelites and take him down to Egypt and he finds himself in Potiphar's house. You remember what happened? Potiphar's wife was watching MTV. Got some ideas. Joseph saw something bigger than an X-rated affair with his boss's wife. And he ran and left his coat, if you please, in her hand. Of no fault of Joseph, he finds himself not in Potiphar's house, but in prison. 
I wonder if we'd have been Joseph if we'd have believed that all things are working together. I wonder if we were in a pit, out of the pit, in Potter's house, and now in prison, if we'd have said, man, how could this be the purpose of God? Is anybody listening to me tonight? What if Joseph couldn't have got over the pit? What if Joseph went through his whole life thinking about nothing but, man, this is a pit. (laughs) My life is nothing but one big pit. What if Joseph been Baptist and went through his whole life never being able to get over a pit? I did nothing to deserve the pit. I did nothing to earn the pit. I did nothing except just Just be a good son and I'm in a pit. But thank God, I've been delivered. I'm in Potiphar's house. And he finds himself in the prison. Things ain't going too well for old Joseph. You say, I got it bad. Have you been in a pit? Have you been in prison? Have you been in the dungeons of this old world, locked up and shut up? And then we find Joseph not in the pit, but we find Joseph in prison. Genesis 41 and verse 39 through 40. We find him in a position. And the Bible says, The king said, thou shalt be over my house. And according to thy word, shall all my people be ruled. From a pit, to Potiphar's house, to prison, to president. All of it, how could that be according to God's purpose? I wonder how many of us would have given up somewhere between the pit and the prison. I wonder how many of us could develop a Baptist attitude somewhere along in there. Me, I probably could have. I probably wouldn't have waited till I got out of the pit. I'd have been mad at God, mad at everybody in the world. You said, well, I wouldn't. Well, you're holier than I am. You're, you're, you're closer to God than I am. Your problem is you're mad right now. God allowed the family dysfunctional. God allowed those boys to throw Joseph in the pit. God allowed the Ishmaelites to come by at the right time. God allowed Joseph being sold to the Ishmaelites. God allowed Joseph to stand on the slave market When Potiphar was there, God allowed Potiphar to bid the right bid to buy Joseph. God allowed Joseph to live in his home. God allowed Joseph to remain pure because there's something bigger and somebody bigger than Joseph's lust. 
And God allowed Joseph to be thrown into prison again and overlooked and overlooked and forgotten. And God allowed Joseph to interpret the dream. God allowed Joseph to be exalted from the pit to the presidency. Could I read for you Genesis 50? Just a minute. Verse 19, please. When his brothers discovered that their father was dead, now they're fearful of Joseph. Since Joseph's daddy is dead, they're afraid Joseph is going to take vengeance on the boy since daddy's gone. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. Now don't miss this. For am I in the place of God? From the pit. Are you ready? To Potiphar's house. To prison. To president. To God's place. You mean all things work together for good? Look at the next verse. But as for you, talking to his brothers, you thought it evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass it is this day to save much people alive. Could I ask you tonight, take a look at the big picture. And get over it. Take a look. At the purpose of God. Take a look at the calling of God. Take a look at the calling and the ministry God has given you here in this place. Don't treat it lightly. Don't treat it flaky. There's something. In this world. Big enough for all of us to get over it. Preacher, how do I do that? By forgiving others the way Christ forgave you. Be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another even as Christ for God's sake hath forgiven you. Preacher, I'm mad at you. Gives you a good chance to exercise godly forgiveness. How can I get over it? Forget circumstances and situations. What if I'd have done this? Or what if I'd have done that? And what if I hadn't have done this? Or what if I hadn't have said this? Forget it. You can't change it. Just forget it. You said you don't understand. I like milling around in my mind. Secondly, thirdly, fourthly, or whatever. Confess and forsake your sins. He that covereth his sin shall not 
prosper. But whosoever that confesses and forsakes them shall find mercy. Amen. Man, I'd be crazy to stay mad at Ginger too long. I'd get tart of McDonald's. Fifthly, adapt a Christ-like attitude. I mean, just adapt a Christ-like attitude. How do I get over it? By being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine where's excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Making melody unto the Lord. Have you ever accused somebody of talking to themselves being weird? They might be full of the Holy Spirit and to some of us that would really be weird. You know, I found out over the years that if I talk to myself, I can usually talk myself out of a lot of stuff that I'm fixing to talk myself into a lot of stuff. Hmm? You see one of them bubblegum machines behind you. Bloop, 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 bloop. And suddenly you have a fit of anger run through you like, who does this guy think he is? 10,000 rapists on the street. He's pulling me over for going 95 in a 20. (laughs) Who does this idiot think he is? And you begin to seethe and you begin to say, you better not tell me to have a good day. (laughs) Now, I can sit there and say, Talking to myself. You can either act like a Christian and maybe he will not give you a ticket. Or you can act like some of the rest of your family and you'll get one for sure. (laughs) I can talk myself out of a lot of dumb stuff. For instance, I know he's seven foot tall. I wonder if I could hit him one time and knock him down. Or, if I don't knock him down, what's next? Then, I start talking myself in to go into the hoose and not swing it at all. If some of us would be filled with the Holy Spirit, we'd quit arguing so much at the house. And our little kids could see a real live Christian in living color. Amen. 